0: What's up, y'all? I haven't done this in a month uh, on person. I forgot to turn my mic on. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, a couple of quick announcements, some housekeeping before we hop into the scripture for today. Uh, Number one, man, I am so (laughs) uh, grateful to have a gracious, loving, enthusiastic community uh, like Renaissance that uh, I can belong to. Now, one of the things that this past month has meant has been just a lot of up and down and a lot of chaos both in our city and certainly nationally and also globally. And uh, as we made plans to regather, uh, we had a couple of things that we wanted to highlight that I want to make sure all of us are kind of repeating over and over again. First and foremost, um, they never taught us how to run church in a pandemic in seminary. Uh, I wish they would have offered that class with some foresight, but they never did. Um, so we're doing the best we can as a church. And uh, one of the things that I, I really wanted to highlight was that we want to make sure we're honoring everybody's convictions with how you operate in the pandemic in terms of your comfort level. For those of you in the room, obviously, hopefully you feel comfortable being here. And for those of you who are not yet comfortable joining us uh, in person, uh, we honor that. And we don't want anybody feeling guilt or any negative emotion associated with uh, exercising uh, practices that you think will keep you healthier. Number two, we really need to make sure everybody knows that we're doing a lot of things behind the scenes to keep everybody safe. Um, we do we were able um, through some black market under the table deals to get some rapid tests um, on the deep web now we got them online um, and all of our people who will be unmasked uh, like myself, uh, we test in the mornings uh, before we take our masks off. Um, and we do a lot just to keep everybody safe, um, which means uh, we're making some changes to service. Trip mentioned that in terms of how our prayer team is operating. Um, Renaissance kids for the time being will only be at 10 a.m. And the biggest thing I wanted to highlight is we really want people to remain non-judgmental of others. So if you feel comfortable, great. If you don't feel comfortable yet, just yet, uh, wherever you are, to remain non-judgmental, and hopefully we'll get a long way together. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see those of you uh, soon, or whenever you feel uncomfortable, to be in the building. Now I want to give one quick announcement before we hop into scripture. Um, on Monday, January 17th, Martin Luther King Day, we're having a virtual Zoom prayer day. Um, for the organization that we've been working with called Pray March Act. Now, Pray March Act is an organization dedicated to trying to bring churches together and Christians together in the pursuit of biblical justice in our city. And uh, you're going to see some Instagram posts and everything coming out about that. So please make sure you're checking your emails um, and social media to make sure you're staying connected on everything. The links in the email, uh, the links on how to register for that will be coming up pretty soon. All right, so let me pray for us and we'll hop into scripture today. Uh, God, our Father, uh, you are the King of kings. Uh, I'm grateful, Lord, that I don't have to be in control because you are. God, remind us today how powerful you are and how that power works toward us uh, who claim, who, who have put our faith in you. In Jesus' let me pray, amen. Uh, so one of the things that I think about often as I grow older is, man, like, I, I, I really miss having my grandparents. All of my grandparents were just so special to me in different ways. And in so many ways, like you don't miss, you don't know what you you really had until that that it's not there anymore sometimes. Uh, I think about sometimes when I'm playing Uno with my oldest son and he's cheating, um, he miraculously has like five draw fours in his hand. I'm like, oh, okay, you dealt and you just, another one, okay, I have 36 cards in my hand. Um, and, And how my brother and I used to cheat my grandmother (laughs) <laughs> so I guess what goes around comes around. Uh, and I think about my, uh, my other grandparents and my, my granddad, who um, uh, both he and my grandmother were actually both widowed, and they remarried each other. And um, he was not our biological grandfather, but he loved me and my cousins so well that we never knew the difference. And one thing that he did, um, we, he bought us a horse, so all of these New Yorkers would go to Virginia for my for my to my family reunion, and we just had a horse that we could ride, and we had somebody who would come by and take care of it, and it was like the coolest thing to have a, a horse. And when we would go to my grandmother's house in Virginia, there would be all of these barbed wire fences all over the place to keep the horse inside. Years ago, I heard a story that changed the way I actually saw God, and I saw people, and I saw myself. In terms of what I want to get out of God, it talked about this concept of how do we keep animals uh, safe and in our care. In America, like in my grandmother's house in Virginia, we would put up fences to guard them in to make sure that they didn't escape. God forbid if they hit, you know, the open road and traffic, it could be a catastrophe. But in places like Australia, in uh, places where there's just so much expansive land. There, in the outback, for example, they didn't put up fences. Their strategy to keeping the horses and the animals safe, instead of putting up fences, is to dig wells. And they would dig wells really, really deeply. And when a farmer was asked, well, why do you dig wells? They said, because the horses know that there is a source of life here, and they will never go far from it. So you don't need to build a fence when you have a deep enough and life-giving well. Well, As I thought about my own spiritual practices over the years, prayer, scripture reading, things of that nature, if I'm being perfectly honest, probably for the first number of years of my spiritual development as I became a Christian, I was looking at scripture like a fence. I need to do this so that I can stop sinning or I can stop doing this or I can feel better about myself. And over the years, to be perfectly honest, as I approached Scripture in that way, it didn't feel life-giving. More often than not, it felt guilt-inducing. Now, one of the challenges that we all face as we approach our life with God is whether or not Scripture for us is a fence or is it a well. Now, we are in the sermon series called The Well, where we are hoping to recover the life-giving practices of uh, of the spiritual disciplines that have um, formed people for the last several thousand years. One of these things is scripture reading, and it is meant to be a well, something that gives you life, life life-giving, not guilt-inducing. You know, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, here's what he says in Matthew 13, uh, 44 through 46. He tells two short parables in one. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, That a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Here's how Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. And I was thinking about what Jesus is inviting us all into. What is Jesus inviting me into? What is Jesus inviting you into when he calls us to do things like read scripture? He calls us to discover a treasure, something that is so profound and so beautiful that it would transform the way that you approach all of your relationships and certainly the way you approach your relationship with God. But if we're being all the way live, um, when's the last time you thought about reading scripture like discovering treasure? It feels like a a task, something to do. I I don't want to... I don't think that's too bad of a thing because I think most of the things in our life that we would recognize as real gifts, real treasures, the things that we have 24-7, we, we lose all of them. For those of you who have, like, good parents, and I mean, like, parents who love you, parents who sacrifice for you, if your parents were to call you right now, you'd be like, all right, hello, yes, hi, mom, Yes, the, okay, I'll, talk, I'll teach you how to work your iPad for the 627th time. The home button, there's only one button on the iPad. Whatever, that's my start. Sorry, Mom, I, I didn't mean to put that out. <laughs> but she's a treasure. With all of the day-to-day and the mundane things that we have to go through, when I think about my family, like my parents, my mother, like man, she's a treasure to have had someone who has loved me faithfully for 40 years. Nobody loves me, my wife for sure doesn't love, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> um, she loves me greatly, and we'll talk about that later, um, I'm sure. The things that we have in our life, our relationships, our parents, our, some of our professions, the jobs that we get to do, the things we get to work on, our friends, people who like really are ride or die friends with you, their treasures, They're gifts, they're right in front of your face every single day, And we can't even see and sense how precious they are. Scripture is meant to be the same thing for us. We all have Bibles. We have many Bibles. The the problem in America is not that we don't have enough Bibles. It's that we don't have enough Bible inside of us. So I want to talk about five things today uh, that are going to help us to rediscover the treasure that is Scripture, that it will be a well for us in our life, not a fence to us. And there's five practices that I want to talk about Uh, Fair warning up front, the first point is like 90% of the sermon. The the four points after that are going to be very quick, so don't like start timing me and like, all right, this dude's been talking for a long time on point one. Speed it up, Rev. Um, So point one is going to be the most important. Remember the goal. For Scripture to become a well in your life, first and foremost, you need to remember the goal. What is your goal in reading Scripture? Um, what do we hope to to get as we approach it? A lot of times we approach scripture to try to get our life right, to be a better person, to feel like we're doing the right thing, to get more discipline, to learn more, or to feel connected to God. Now, all of these things, none of them are bad, but they cannot be the goal. Now, if you think about this question, what do you want to get from it? It's really a profound question. Uh, When I was in high school, I was 17 years old, and I had a, a big date on a Friday night. My parents let me borrow their car. And I put on 17 sprays of my Nautica cologne. <laughs> and I, I hit the streets. And this was like in the late 90s. And it was like, if you think about it, the 90s was a wild time because like if you wanted to talk to a, a, a young woman, you had to like call her parents. There's no such thing as, like, texting, like, hey, come outside. It's like you had to call her parents, the home phone, and be like, good evening, Mr. So-and-so. My name is Jordan Rice. Uh, and uh, I called this. Uh, we were talking, and she told me, hey, when you come outside, do not honk the horn. My dad wants to meet you. And I was like, okay. I get, up, I get upstairs to her apartment. Her father is there, and he shakes my hand for an uncomfortably long amount of time, as he's talking to me, and after some pleasantries, for like 10 seconds, he looked at me in my face, he says, what do you want from my daughter? And I was shaking his hand still, like, um, right now I want to leave, that's the only thing that I want. Um, I was trying to get to go see Matrix One in the theaters, um, but that question, I've thought about it since then. Like, I was just going to the movies, and that question of what do you want? Like the whole night in the movie theater, I kept on thinking to myself, yo, what do I actually want out of this? And unless we have that question answered, it's going to muddle, it's going to muddy up our approach, and we're not even going to know what, how to behave or what to do, because if our goal, what do we want, what are we seeking, if that is not clear, then we'll never have the right approach. So we need to first and foremost remember the goal of reading Scripture, and the goal of Bible reading is intimacy, not information. The goal of approaching Scripture is intimacy. It is connection. It is God himself, not merely information. It's not a manual. It's the pursuit of a person. I was talking to my wife yesterday about, like, what does it mean to get God? And that's a christian term that only pastors and people in churches uh, probably understand uh, up front. But what does it mean for you to get God? What does it mean for your goal to be in approaching Scripture that I get God? Ephesians 1 is a scripture that i turn to to help us to better understand what it means for us to get God, that our goal would be crystal clear. Ephesians 1 and 17, it says this. Paul is praying for this church. He's praying for people like you and me. And he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. To get God, first and foremost, is to get a knowledge of who God is. How God moves, what God is like, and Scripture is the primary place that we turn to for a crystal clear picture of what God is like. To get this knowledge of Him, the best place for us to get the knowledge of God is through Scripture. And when we, we and we read to learn what God is like. Now I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark right now for my own personal spiritual formation, and yo, Mark is like blowing my mind as I'm uh, seeing Jesus. And I'm I'm reading through Mark over and over and over again to pick up things that I wouldn't necessarily see in by reading it like one chapter at a time. And something that hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday was the way that Jesus interacted with Judas. Like if you think about the way that Jesus interacted with Judas, Jesus is Jesus. Um, Hopefully you know who Jesus is a little bit. Um, Judas was a disciple that Jesus called who Jesus knew was going to betray him. And Jesus walked with him for years. At the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus knew that the betrayal was imminent, Jesus, in preparation for his uh, crucifixion, goes to all of his disciples and bends down, wipes, wraps a towel around his waist, and washes all the disciples' feet, including Judas. Later, Jesus says, I eagerly desire to have a meal with you and has what's called the Last Supper. Jesus is serving communion. At the beginning of communion, Jesus announces that somebody, the one who is going to betray me, is in this room right now. And then Jesus serves him dinner. Jesus has room at his table for the one who would betray him. That is, that is profound. What does this teach us about grace? Grace. What does this teach us about the way we see ourselves, whether or not God would invite you to his table? If he has room for Judas, trust me, he has room for you. Now, the knowledge of Jesus, his grace, how he operates, the level to which Jesus is willing to give himself for people who do not appreciate or respect his sacrifice for him is profound, something that I'm just now starting to scratch the surface of, and that knowledge comes to me in Scripture. Scripture. Now, I want to move, further, a little long, move a little bit further because it's not just about a knowledge of him. Paul says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Scripture reading in all of the disciplines are not meant to just be the knowledge of God, that we learn things and say, like, ooh, that's deep. That's, yo, that's fire. Christians love themselves and tweetable things about Jesus but it is meant to inform you, enlighten your heart so you would know what is the hope that God is calling you to do. So it is not meant to just say, oh, wow, Jesus is really profound in the way he deals with Judas. It is meant to inform how Jordan lives. See, the concept of calling is not about me being called to be a preacher and stand on the stage. I'm called to God. You are called to God. That is the calling on all of our lives, to follow him, now, what does it teach me about Jordan and how I interact with people? This past week, I'll be perfectly honest, I had an, an interaction with someone where I was like, as the interaction was happening, I was like nodding my head thinking, I'm gonna cut them right off. Like, I'm gonna, I'm smiling. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna cut them off. As soon as this is done, um, this is done. Like, we're just gonna move in a different direction and it's very easy for me to pivot. This is not gonna cause any chaos in my life. It's just easier for me to not have to deal with this person, right? And then I thought to myself, man, if Jesus made room for Judas at his table, don't I at least owe this person at least a difficult conversation to offer them a little bit of grace? One of the things that is a problem with Christianity in America is that it is a head knowledge that never works its way down to how we actually operate and live our lives. To get God is not just um, knowledge of him. It is also to be enlightened, to know what God is calling you to do. There are entire books of the Bible, like James, that are screaming at us that faith alone is good, but let me show you my faith, what I believe, what I know by how I live my life. So to get God is not just a knowledge of him. It's also to be enlightened, to have your heart made aware of what God is calling you specifically to do. Paul continues in verse 19, and Paul says, "To, To know the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? One of the things that you'll get as you're reading scripture is a clearer picture of the gospel. Paul uses two words here that I want to briefly touch on. He says, inheritance and power. What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that you get that someone else has earned. By its strictest definition... An inheritance is something that you get, that you did not work for at all. There are some people in this in this world, in this country, who are billionaires, and they have done absolutely nothing. Years ago, there were all of these reality TV shows. I may have watched one or two episodes. Um, the Paris Hilton, everybody remembers that era in, in life, where she was you know, mocked and made fun of for a lot of different reasons. Um, but in reality, every Christian is a spiritual Paris Hilton. There was someone who went before you who earned a great deal of wealth and is passing it down to you even though you don't appreciate it. You're spending it ridiculously. You're not grateful. You're, you're high and mighty because you feel like you're better than other people. We're all spiritual Paris Hiltons. The Bible says that we have received an inheritance. Jesus going to the cross, purchased for us an eternal salvation that we could have never earned on our own, and we're trying to add our little two cents to it. The gospel reminds us. Reading scripture should remind us over and over again. You'll see in the life of scripture, as we read it, from a Christ-centered lens, what is your inheritance? And it reminds you what God has for you, not what God wants from you. It reminds us of these things, and it also reminds us of the power to... uh, um, The power toward us who believe, Paul says, and I think in this time of of day and age, I think we all would do very well to remember that God, God's power is toward us. It's not against us. God's amazing power is for you. God's power is for you. And I think that that would alter the way that we even pray in the bigness of our prayers and our expectation of what we are praying for. So to get God is one, uh, one way of looking at it could be having a knowledge of who Jesus is, a, a knowledge of who God is through scripture, that that informs us and enlightens us what God is calling us to do, and we are reminded of the gospel of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. The goal of Bible reading is not information, it is intimacy. When we approach it, to be informed about who Jesus is, to get God, man, it's just going to be so much more life-giving, not guilt-inducing. But one caveat I do want to give you all. You will experience that over time, but not necessarily every time. i to say that again. You will experience God in Scripture over time, but you will not experience that every time. If your goal in reading Scripture is to get a feeling let me just set you up right now, Uh, you're going to be very disappointed sometimes. There will be times you read scripture and you're just going to be bothered. That's it. The goal of scripture cannot be to feel something emotionally, but rather that to trust over time, you will be uh, made more and more into uh, Jesus's likeness. And a couple quick things about this. Only like really immature relationships require over-the-top overtures to maintain them. Anybody who's been in a relationship for like, when my wife and I first started dating, I remember like hopping on a bolt bus to DC and like being super nervous, how we were gonna spend six hours together and thinking about like, all right, do we go this first? And like trying to pack as much activity as possible into the time so we didn't get bored. Now, I mean, I don't, neither one of us thinks about anything because we're just stuck with each other. Um, <laughs> In reality, only immature relationships require that you do spontaneous and amazing things to keep them going. If you were married for like 20 years and you have to plan something amazing every single day, you would say that that's a relationship that is shallow and needs a whole lot of work. I think that's also telling about our relationship with God when we need this amazing over-the-top experience to keep us going. I think it reveals some shallowness in our relationship. Now, paradoxically, one of the things that you'll learn in reading scripture is this truth that we will experience God over time, but certainly not every time. I want to read to you two psalms written by the same author. The first is written, uh, the first one is Psalm 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together, because why? I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. Same author in a different psalm says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? And goes into a lament. Actually, two-thirds of the psalms are just like that, those laments, complaints, accusations against God. Which one is it? Does God stand far away or does God make your face radiant with joy? The answer is yes. God does both. If our goal is to experience God every single time, we're going to be very upset. And I want to hopefully set our expectations so that we can have a life-giving approach to scripture that allows us to trust that God will honor his word, that nothing that comes from the mouth of God will will return to him void. I'm reminded of a scripture in Galatians 6 and 9 where Paul says this let us not get tired of doing good. Listen, the year is fresh. Do not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. I believe that there's so many people who have missed out on growth, on amazing intimacy with God because we gave up. We felt like it wasn't working after two weeks and we gave up. And my hope and prayer for us this year, as we are thinking about the goal of getting God, of trusting that we will experience God over time, but not every time uh, that we will continue to do good, even though um, if we do not give up. So that's number one, uh, to remember the goal. And uh, the second point, Uh, for us to really be able to experience God's word to us, scripture as a well, something that is life-giving, not not guilt-inducing, is to pick a plan. You and I need to pick a plan. One of the things, particularly if you are not already in the habit of reading scripture, it's very unlikely that you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning with no plan ahead that you're gonna succeed. There are, are countless Bible plans on Bible apps and all these different things for you to do. But the goal of this is to remove the friction in your life. As you are trying to start something new in your life, particularly if you're not already doing it, the more friction there is, the more ambiguity, the more confusion there is, the less likely you are to do it. So if you pick a plan, you know exactly what it is that you're going to read, your chances of actually carrying that out are significantly raised because there is less friction between you and your goal. Now, personally, uh, I am right now, and I'll get to this at the end of the message today. I am reading the Gospel of Mark. If you think about Scripture, Scripture was really never meant to be read in like three-word chunks, three sentences, or a chapter here or a chapter there. What I want to challenge all of you to do is to read Mark a couple of times. I'm not saying to read one chapter a day, two chapters a day, or the whole thing. You can do that in one sitting. It's a short book. It's only 16 chapters for those of you who have um, a, a block of time that you can do, and we'll get to that later but to say, I'm going to read the gospel of Mark. And there are some things you will notice as you read Mark consecutively that you will never notice if you just read a couple of verses at a time. Mark, when he wrote the words of scripture to, uh, to us, his intent was that we would read it as one account. Now, for those of you who read, uh, there's a couple different ways that you can go about it. As I'm doing a dishes, sometimes I'm, I, I've downloaded a streetlights audio app. And I'm listening to the, yes, we got a fan. I'm listening to the Bible app. I'm listening to Mark as I'm doing the dishes. So I'm hearing Mark describe Jesus as servant as I'm hopefully trying to be a servant. And it's like life-changing. On your walk to the train or if you're on, on your walks out to just replace a podcast with the Gospel of Mark, you'd get through it actually pretty quickly. And certainly if we set aside time. Now, that's my commercial for reading the Gospel of Mark. If you have something else that you want to read, please do that. But the one plan that I would caution you against doing is if you've never read the Bible consistently, starting in Genesis and trying to go through Revelation this year. I don't think that's a good idea for for most people. There's no command in Scripture that says you need to read the Bible in a year. Most people die in the desert of Deuteronomy uh, in their approach. (laughs) And they don't make it through. So if you don't have a plan already, something that is life-giving, I want you to read Mark how much that is, I don't know. Uh, that's between that. That's up to you. But I want you to be very intentional, and we'll get to that, that a little bit. Uh, how we're going to do that together towards the end. So as I'm reading something, I also think it's very helpful to record your thoughts as you're going. So if you have a, a it could be a note in your phone that you're recording. It could be something, um, a journal that you're writing with. Whatever it is to record your thoughts, so you can see the commentary of what, um, what is coming to you, how God is meeting you in Scripture, and you can be reminded of. those things one more quick commercial for a paper bible for those of you who struggle to maintain attention and focus whenever i'm reading my bible on my phone a text comes in for a fantasy basketball trade and i'm like ah do i want luca do i i mean ah, do i want to do that and then like my whole focus is gone because i've already lost my my train of thought when i have my paper bible i'm much more able to lock in so if you have a paper bible I think it's a better way to approach it. Certainly, the Bible digital ones are fantastic as well, um, but I would recommend putting on do not disturb mode if that's for your goal. So number one, remember the goal. Number two, pick a plan. Number three, pick a place. Routine reinforces habit. Now, it doesn't have to be a perfect place. Uh, it won't be a perfect place if you live in New York City, uh, but it should be a place that you, you know, when I go to this corner, this closet, tucked in, whatever it is that you're doing in your New York City apartment, uh, if we have a place that we go to to meet God, I think God honors that. I think God honors knowing that we're going to him in faith, expecting to meet him uh, at a place. It doesn't, it's not a sacred place. It could just be a corner, or someplace that, is able, that you're able to focus and pay attention um, to what you are reading. The subway might not be the best place to do that, right? So that leads us right to number four, which is? Pick a time. What I know to be very true personally is what gets scheduled gets done. What gets scheduled gets done. If you don't pick a time and you're waiting for your willpower to motivate you to read through half of Mark, we'll see, let's see how that goes. I think it's much more helpful for us to have time set aside that you know I can get everything else in my day done For those of you like me who are always thinking about what I have to do, I have to do this and do this, to pick a time and try to protect that time with all of your might. Put it in your calendar. Make it a time that you can actually do and focus, Um, and I think God honors that, right? God honors everyone, The Bible tells us in Hebrews uh, 11 and 6 that God is, he rewards everyone who diligently seek after him. God rewards us. He rewards us with himself. So number one, remember the goal. Number two, pick a plan. Number three, pick a place. Number four, pick a time. And number five, pick a team. The reason I chose this is because time and team, I just wanted to use a T word. But this is a community uh, approach that we should approach the Bible, not just beat me, myself, and I in my own Uh, closet or my own room approaching God, but I need a community of people around me that are going to help me do the things that God is calling us to do. You can never experience all that God wants you to experience by yourself. There's a lot of wisdom in this. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 and 10, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his or her companion can lift them up. But check out what Solomon says, but pity the one who falls.'" without another to lift him up. If you're reading scripture by yourself, man, it's gonna be really, really hard for you to get up if you fall off. But if you approach this from a community aspect, it's significantly better for us to uh, really find thriving in that, to find encouragement, a gentle nudge to keep on going. Now, this can happen in a number of ways. It could be your DNA group for those of you who are in that. Y'all could be in a chat together. But one thing that I wanna highlight is next Wednesday, I believe it's January 19th, At 7.30 p.m., we are having a Bible study, and it's going to be on the Gospel of Mark. And I want to challenge everybody to register for that, but know that the registration fee is you reading the Gospel of Mark. I want you to register, but I don't want you to register and to show up to kind of hear from other people what Mark is all about. I want you to read the Gospel of Mark for yourself in advance so that you can be informed. And one of the first questions that I'm going to ask as we started the Bible study is, did you read it? And just having that accountability probably is going to raise the chances of a lot of people having read the Gospel of Mark. We need to be pushed along. We need a team. We need people to uh, motivate us, to encourage us, to seek after God and to get what God has for us. So remember the goal. Pick a place. Pick uh, Pick a plan. Pick a place. Pick a time and pick a team. And my prayer for us is from Ephesians 1. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, as you approach him in scripture this week, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Amen and amen.